Christmas to everyone around the world. We bid you a huge across the pond festive cheer to wherever you're watching or listening right now. Chad, Merry Christmas to you, buddy. 2020 has been one hell of a year, but we are towards the end now, aren't we? Yeah, it's really true. I, I couldn't believe that it was Christmas already. Uh, this year has literally just flashed right by our very faces. Everything just seems like a blur. It still feels like a blur. I know for a while we were saying that, but it still is so true, Barry. Um, and you're right. It is a good time to, I suppose, uh, just celebrate the, the, the things we, we know and love about uh, this period of the year. Xmas, the, the kind of festive season. No matter what sort of religion you are, this, this new beginnings this kind of looking back onto a fresh new uh, sl- slate essentially for for the new year and in that vein Barry we have some new viewers and listeners too uh, which we would like to welcome with open arms uh, to our podcast yeah definitely on YouTube we've seen lots and lots of big increases over the last couple of episodes and so everyone who's joined us welcome we really do appreciate you here on across the pond if you're liking what you're seeing if you're liking what you're listening to please subscribe it will be the best Christmas present in the world <laughs> to us it really makes a big difference to the show and we're hoping to grow it as much as possible so hit that subscribe button yeah. and tell all your friends because 2021 we've got a lot coming Chad. absolutely well barry we've got so much coming so much to talk about today shall we head straight into it let's do it chad the week that was uh barry after that wonderful upbeat introduction to this show we got to talk about the week that was, and the week that was uh, makes it tricky for me to be upbeat. It makes it tricky for me to to have the smile on my face, Barry, um, because as much as it is Christmas and as much as there's so much to be happy and excited about, um, I almost feel like Christmas has been cancelled. And uh, in that way, I, I'm going to be removing my headgear um, just just because yeah, we, I think so. because we've got some some you know trickier stuff to some tough topics to talk about yeah, today. Yeah. Um, and so the first one is is that Barry. Me feeling like Christmas has been cancelled. Over the weekend, we had an announcement, uh, some tough news, and in really quick succession, the actual sort of enforcement of that news, and that is that London and some parts of the southeast of England are going into effectively uh, another lockdown, but they've branded it something different, Barry. They've branded it as, well, you're still in the tiers, but this is tier four. Uh, we had the joke about all the, the different tiers and what they mean, um, you know, before, But yeah, essentially, we're in another lockdown, shops are closed, uh, you know, all sort of personal care places, hairdressers, all that stuff, all closed again, gyms closed, everything closed. And the sort of previous concession that we had for Christmas, which was five days where you can interact within this bubble of three households, sleep over, you know, do whatever you want in this bubble, that's been taken away from us, Barry. And so for me, it feels like Christmas has been cancelled. I'm so sorry, Chad. It really is a brutal state of affairs. And unfortunately, like most of 2020, COVID, (laughs) the monster, rears its ugly head once again. And even with all the talk of vaccines and all the positive sentiment coming out of a lot of these trials, unfortunately, we've seen cases skyrocket in the UK and elsewhere around the world and on this side of the pond as well, Chad. And unfortunately, like we're not there yet. We're not out of the woods yet. And so drastic action had to be taken. And the fact that it happens over Christmas makes it just... Just a thousand times worse. Yeah. And so I think for morale's sake, I'm, I'm wondering what it's what it feels like on that side. I'm sure it 
must be very somber, very sad, very frustrating. Um, but unfortunately, like this is what maybe needs to be done in order to try and keep this under control and buy your guys enough time to kind of wait for those vaccines to be ready. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that it's the right thing to do. We've seen the case numbers rising. There's no doubt. Um, but but you're right on the ground. I'm feeling devastated in a way, Barry. I mean, I've felt this mood of emotions this past week um, that, you know, I thought I was over for this year. I thought that we had, you know, gone through all of the the bad stuff that we were going to feel this year. Um, But I think it's that excitement that we had just a few days ago, as we were recording this on Monday night, uh, just a few days ago, Boris was going to say, have a merry little Christmas, have a Christmas, but with as little people as possible. And that's now been taken away from us. It's kind of like when we're headed into the second lockdown, Barry, we had this wonderful carrot. You guys have five days of grace. And so I think, you know, with that carrot, they were able to get a lot of compliance because people said, okay, sure, we'll do short-term, you know, pain, long-term gain kind of thing. We'll we'll have our Christmas at least. Um, and now we don't even have that. And I guess part of the reason why this is all happening is because there's this new strain of COVID. Now, we knew, we knew that it was always going to be a virus that was able to mutate and change and just like all other viruses, like flus and like other ones in the past. Uh, But this new strain, weirdly enough, uh, has this kind of change in the spike protein that makes it kind of up to 70% more transferable than the previous one, Uh, which is why we're seeing this crazy spike in cases. And I believe you guys in the SA as well have this other mutation as well that, that shares something in common. But very interestingly, and something I find very interesting, Barry, is that they're not related. It's not the same mutation that we're seeing in the UK. So independently, the virus has changed on two opposite parts of the globe. Yeah, I think that's how evolution works, right? This virus, if you think about it from the virus's perspective, they're trying to live and trying to survive as best they can. And the human humanity is kind of on an onslaught to try and destroy this virus at every point it can. And so the virus is going to mutate, it's going to evolve. And like you said, we expected this. We expected a bunch of new strains in the same way that the flu virus changes every single year. So your flu vaccine from last year doesn't work on this year's flu, for example. That's what viruses do. That's what what organisms do. Um, And the fact that that it is like, diverting into new strains is not that noteworthy. What is noteworthy, like you say, is that increase in, in transferability and how contagious it's becoming. And also the fact that I find it interesting that South Africa and the UK are the two countries where these new strains have developed first, right? Yeah. And so it's very, very strange that we are the chosen <laughs> ones in that sense. Maybe it talks to our lack of adherence to some of the policies. Maybe it talks to some of the, the naughtiness within the two countries. Um, but yeah, it's it's really not good news at all. And uh, for, for Christmas, with this, which is coming down the pipe, it's devastating, absolutely devastating. Um, but at the end of the day, we have to look after life. We have to look after health as best we can. And if this was what it takes, then unfortunately, that's what it's going to be and 2020 has been a year like none other it kind of feels it feels appropriate that christmas in 2020 (laughs) is also going to be a year like no other um as sad as that is you're right you're completely right how could we be surprised uh that this was going to be taken away from us this one little win that we were going to have um but it is what it is um you know i am very downbeat currently but i will see things in better light uh, at some point in time i just gotta i'm gonna grieve for this loss barry because uh, you know it it is that um the one other thing i wanted to chat about uh, on this kind of topic is the swift response we've seen from countries around the world to the uk after announcing these measures on saturday night 
There are currently, as we speak, Barry, this is again on Monday night, 40 countries that have imposed within literally the last two days measures to ban people from the UK entering into those countries. We're talking about Canada, we're talking about Germany, France, uh, Italy, etc., etc., a long list of countries. Um, and that is really quite interesting. Yeah, definitely. I think everyone has learned from the first kind of wave and the, and the, the first one and a half wave of this virus to know that the earlier you do things, the better, yeah. especially if there's a new strain around, like you need to close those borders as soon as possible. And that's why we've seen like a, a domino effect as to one country, the next country, the next country. And all of a sudden, like you say, 40 countries, and I'm sure it'll keep growing over the next couple of days in an attempt to keep that second strain out or an attempt to keep those case numbers out. At the end of the day, it's not possible to keep it out completely. There are definitely people in the UK who's taken that strain across already, but mm. you can minimize the damage. And that's kind of the idea is to try and mitigate that damage as much as much as possible so you can maintain this. Um, I think everyone has kind of realized that we're not out of the woods yet. And hopefully this is kind of a wake-up call for everyone around the world that even with all the talk of the vaccines, we're still far away from a solution for this problem. And those travel bans are going to mess with a lot of people's mm. travel plans. They're going to mess with a lot of holidays that were planned. It can mess with a lot of seeing families and whatnot. Um, but it's something these countries have to do to try and mitigate that damage right at their border. Um, to kind of make sure that all the hard work they've done to bring the cases down in the individual countries isn't then undone by tra people traveling in and bringing it with them. Absolutely. And it's understandable that those bans are there, Barry. But I guess one of the kind of unintended consequences is that there are now food shortage concerns uh, and, and slight shortage concerns. I'm not going to kind of over, uh, you know, dramatize this. But essentially, we, we're talking about channels uh, between the UK and France, which have now been temporarily closed. Uh, we've heard from Boris Johnson that within the next few hours, it might be resolved. And by the time we release this episode, that may have been the case. Uh, but there certainly were last night. 500 lorries uh, piled up back to back trying to get across the channel essentially and that may not have been uh, intended they may not have even seen that coming um, but essentially because of the the brexit preparations uh, which are you know also around the corner they've been able to deal with that so uh, i guess good to have those plans uh, having gone on in the background in any case you just can't script this stuff right <laughs> you you can never write a story like this that actually works yeah. out the background of brexit and all the drama and all the chaos about the uk's independence and the uk's ability to be self-sustaining and not rely on the trade deals within the eu and within the rest of the world all these discussions have been happening for the last i don't know two or three years however long brexit's been taking and uh, to see now it kind of being forced upon them with a non-brexit related reason <laughs> is so interesting yeah. and and in, in, the, in this globalized world we've been chatting about for the past years, how these supply chains are so interconnected and, and countries are specializing in, in goods and they're supplying huge proportions of the world. And all of a sudden, if you can't get those goods over the border, like you say, things can get quite dire quite quickly. And so I think what, what will happen post-pandemic is we'll have to re-look at this whole globalization and look at how do we think about supply chains. And individual countries have to figure out, listen, what happens if we can't get access to these trade deals for months at a time, right? What if what if we are relying on other countries to produce key basics or food or electricity or any of these sorts of things? And that's going to put a real span in the works when you think about your strategy as a nation going forward. And maybe you have to bring some of that stuff in-house, even at a higher cost, but to manage some of that risk that all of a sudden if a pandemic happens or something like that, you can't get access to those resources. Yeah, definitely. And it's been one of the key topics uh, throughout this 
uh, pandemic, I suppose, from the start is that role of, of globalization and I guess decentralizing, uh, which is essentially a complete reversal of everything that we've been doing uh, for the last couple of decades. So Barry, that's my week. That's why I was downbeat. And uh, I, I guess I just needed a little bit of, of sympathy uh, from that side of the pond. Uh, tell me about your past week. You were in Kruger National Park. <laughs> I'm very jealous, uh, you know, sitting around a campfire looking up at the stars, looking at some, you know, big four. I'm really, really upset. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Chad. I, I can't deny that I've had a great couple of days. Uh, the Kruger was amazing to get away from Joburg and get away into the bush. There's nothing like sitting around a fire and just staring into those flames and kind of mm. forgetting about the rest of the world. And so that was a really wonderful experience. I desperately needed it after a really stressful couple of weeks. Um, and so that was it really was fuel for the soul, Chad. Um, but unfortunately, that doesn't last forever and you have to come back to reality eventually. Yep. And uh, coming back to coming back to reality on this side is South Africa's worries with this coronavirus. And um, don't worry, we are right there with you, Chad. <laughs> we are on the same path as the UK, unfortunately. And uh, our good old friend Uncle Cyril had called a family meeting the other day and basically announced a whole range of new measures to deal with the rising cases we're seeing here in South Africa. As we mentioned earlier, there's a new strain here, so people are very worried about that. But also the cases are just rising and rising and rising and rising. I was chatting to a friend of mine who works in a hospital in Morningside okay. and she was saying that in the last week the number of COVID patients has tripled out of nowhere wow. and so we are we are already in the midst of a second wave and uh, it's it's a weird situation here in South Africa because I think Cyril would want to do the kind of lockdown that the UK has done I think that would have been his like sure. first priority and first choice yep. but we just cannot afford it the economy cannot afford another lockdown and so South Africa is going to have to find a very creative way we're going to have to pull from some sort of reach of discipline and kind of um, pride for the country to try and fix this problem and try and get through the second wave because we simply cannot afford to shut everything down again because unemployment is in high 40s almost 50 percent you cannot let that get any higher wow. it's absolutely insane um, and so south africa is in a very very tough position and uh, the family meeting was to introduce a whole range of new regulations closing beaches over the festive season yep. putting a curfew in place trying to limit the amount of people traveling across borders etc 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 but it kind of feels like bad Band-Aids on a much bigger mm. problem, Chad. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I did tune into uh, the most part of that announcement and uh, took from it a lot of those things that you just mentioned, Barry, um, which is which is really, really tricky because you do have a government that wants to take action, but simply just can't. I guess the question is how far you can push that really, Barry, uh, before it becomes a big problem for everyone involved. Uh, I guess that leads me on very nicely to, to my next point, which was basically talking about the vaccine and talking about how we're going to essentially escape this pandemic. Um, talking about SA's financial position, all of that kind of stuff, I came across a story that uh, essentially they had placed an order which required a deposit to be paid at a certain date. Uh, the Solidarity Fund, I believe, were there and ready to make the payment, uh, but they were struggling to get a guarantee for the rest of this order from National Treasury. It's such a difficult story, this Chad, because obviously it's, it's been going, it's been going like wildfire here in the country, and kind of the, the headline and the narrative that these news sources are writing about is this idea that South Africa's missed this deadline and therefore is not going to get the vaccine, yeah. and 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 that's it's it's simply not true, yeah. and it's it's very misleading because people read headlines and they don't read the rest of the article, they yeah, don't yeah. actually look into it, so it's very complicated, and the, and the, the Department of Health has kept their cards very close to their chest, so it's hard to know what to say on this point, but I want to bring that up right at the beginning to say that. 
it. It's way more nuanced than, yeah. than the media is making sure. it out to be, of course, right? As far as I understand, like you say, there was a deposit of 15% required to pay this organization called COVAX. And COVAX has got agreements with, I think, nine different vaccines around the world with the idea they're going to help distribute, right? Cool. And so we were paying a deposit to try and get access to a certain number of vaccines from COVAX itself. COVAX includes the Oxford University AstraZeneca study. That's yep. one of the nine and then eight other ones. But they do not have the rights or their agreements for the two that have been um, regulatory approved in the US and the UK, right. which is the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine, right? So that's a different thing completely. Nonetheless, it's still very important we get our hands on a portion of the COVAX vaccine. And we've seen a lot of the rich countries around the world spending a lot of money to get huge orders from, from COVAX. And unfortunately, in countries like South Africa, where we have to come up with hundreds of millions of rands overnight, it is a very, very challenging thing to do. So as far as I understand, from reading a couple sources, I think what happened is that they had some sort of administrative error. Right. I think the right documents were signed, but something got lost along the way or some person didn't, didn't follow through or whatever it was, and they'd missed that date to kind of put that order in. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen going forward. I don't think it means we're never going to get those vaccines, yeah. but it is worrying to see those sort of errors made on such an important piece of information. Yeah. Um, according, to, according to the order, I think it's going to cover about 1.7 million people, which is a tiny amount mm. of the population, about 3% of the population, and it's due for about the second quarter of 2021. So those are all the facts, I think, Chad, but again, it's important to know that these stories are very, very manipulative, and a lot of the times you can't just read them. Headlines. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even interesting that uh, we both read a whole bunch of articles and we have kind of different understandings of what the problem was, because I, I, I understood that it was essentially a guarantee uh, that the funds were there ready to be made, like you said, on the solidarity funds part, they were all ready to, to make this payment. Uh, but there was a guarantee for the remaining order, I believe, that they just struggle to get um i don't know if that was maybe that administrative part barry uh, but again i mean like you said it, it, it is just a small portion of the population but i guess pretty key that you know in terms of this thing that is apparently going to rescue us from this pandemic um important things to not have silly administrative errors on i would think Absolutely imperative. And I, I don't want to downplay it. I think yeah. it's a terrible mistake if that's the case. And I think that the, the difference in our understanding, Chad, is because the administrative error is the Department of Health's official statement. Right. Who knows if that's true or not, <laughs> right? So a lot of the reporting is claiming background sources and claiming all sorts of other yeah. stuff. So no one actually knows what the truth is. But like you say, it's a, it's a big problem if that's the case, because even though it's a small amount of people, those vaccines need to get to our health workers immediately, right? If we're going to handle a second wave, we need to have all of our health workers vaccinated so that they are able to work and work and work and work. Because unfortunately, at the moment, we see health workers get COVID all the time, and then they have to spend two weeks away from their job. And we need those people in those hospitals in order to care for the people, the second wave that is coming. And so, yeah, I think it's very important we get this right. I'm hoping that they fix whatever needs to be fixed. Um, and who knows what the truth is, Chad, but it certainly doesn't look good from a South African perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully you guys have too many vaccines to even handle, uh, more than the population <laughs> needs uh, at some point in time. That's all we could ever hope for. Um, let's see what happens. All right, Chad, moving on to something a little bit more exciting. I've been very excited to wear these hats that we brought <laughs> and the first two stories are a bit somber, but this one is a bit happier. So I'm going to I'm gonna put my reindeer hats on, Chad. Okay, I'll join you. Because uh, it is Christmas after all. I'll join you. There we go. Listen to those bells ring. Uh, we have to celebrate a little bit of Christmas here, Chad. And we, we're going to chat about Harry and Meghan, the royals, the infamous royals who apparently have turned to podcasting, I believe. 
They have. And I, I wonder, seeing as we are podcasting right now, what those rings are going to sound like for all of our listeners who have no context. <laughs> um, I, I'd imagine it'll be a slightly annoying few minutes, but no worries. We will uh, remove the headgear uh, at a, another point in time. Indeed, Chad. I'll try and keep my head as still as I can. But uh, if you do have to deal with a couple of bells, I do apologize. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the story that, that we're going to be talking about now is is pretty key, pretty imperative. This thing that is podcasting that didn't exist uh, a decade or so ago i mean it's been around for a while i think we understate how long podcasting has been a thing i mean i used to do little podcasts with my dad uh, when i was a little kid uh, you know a little podcast pretending we had our little radio show going um i certainly at some point in time want to talk about that and we will bring some clips and stuff and you know just just talk about that barry uh, but nevertheless this is talking about megan and harry uh, of course, we're talking about the the royal family, uh, the British royal family, and they've essentially signed a deal with Spotify, reportedly worth thirty million pounds, uh, going into podcasting essentially. And some commentators say, Barry, that for that kind of amount of money, uh, they're going to have to, at some stage, spill a few royal specific. Uh, pieces of content <laughs> do spotify have a money tree <laughs> how are they paying for all of these these yeah. podcasts they bought the joe rogan podcast for reportedly a hundred million dollars they got michelle obama and a thousand other really high profile people mm. to try and push this podcasting game they really have decided to take apple on and kind of try and make themselves the podcasting platform of choice and so yes i'm sure that the money here is absolutely insane as well and i wonder what kind of royal secrets jay we chatted yeah. about the crown yeah last week and about how the insider view of the royal family is very interesting for so many people if they were able to spill a couple of those they would have millions and millions of people uh, watching their stuff and listening to this absolutely stuff. and i guess that you've got to ask the reason why all of these companies are willing to pay them so much money yes they're famous yes they're going to attract uh, an audience uh, but ultimately they're going to have to have some good content there to keep people and to make I suppose, their investment worthwhile. And this is coming off the back of Netflix having recently, very recently, also signed a deal with them. We're not quite sure yet uh, what it all entails, but that's reportedly worth £100 million. Now, we know that Harry and Meghan have left the royal family to try and become financially independent. They wanted to make money. They wanted to you know, be commercial. And ultimately, the breakaway from that, that family uh, is, is key for that. We Still don't know quite what the terms are going to be uh, when, you know, the Queen actually does lay out uh, that sort of exit. What people are now calling Megxit, Barry. Uh, <laughs> Harry and <laughs> Meghan leaving the British family. Uh, but yes, you do certainly have to wonder what kind of content they're going to be contributing for those kind of amounts of money. Yeah, I'm very curious. I'm very curious to see what they come up with. I'm sure they're going to be very thoughtful about it. And I think they're two very thoughtful mm. people. And so I'm curious to see what they're going to do. Um, but for us, Chad, it's really exciting for the world of yeah. podcasting. The more of these big names that come into this format and kind of validate it, give it status, give it credibility, is really, really good for the, the, the field of audio. And uh, I think it's it's awesome to see. Um, it's a very competitive space, of course. Like you say, they're going to have to fight against the the juggernauts of this of this podcasting yeah. world. Um, but the, the fame that they have, the reach that they have, the loyal fans that they have, I'm sure they're going to make a success of it. And we'll just have to see what they do with it, whether it's kind of a charitable type thing, whether it's more of a, a insider kind of um, giving a look at the life of royals, I don't, I don't know. We have to wait and yeah, see. Yeah, you're completely right, Barry. The more people that come onto this platform, the better. 
because it is a platform that I think can touch people's lives in a way no other platform can. I think about all of my long walks and strolls with all of these really meaningful, thought-provoking conversations that I hear people having. And it really has affected me in a pretty profound way. So very happy that casting is the thing. And I must be honest, on a kind of side note, Barry, I'm really impressed at how still you're keeping your head. It's the kind of most still I've ever <laughs> seen Barry be when talking, because if you haven't watched us on video before, he is quite an enthusiastic speaker. <laughs> Chad, it's so difficult. I'm trying to keep myself com- composed and still, I usually nod yep. like a crazy person. I, I, I had a friend who was saying that when I'm on the podcast, apparently I nod like three times a second, which is a bit crazy. And I yep. use my hands a lot and I've been trying to keep very composed. So I hope I'm doing a decent doing job. very well. Uh, hats off to you, Barry. <laughs> Next thing and the last thing, I know we kind of, it feels like we're just jumping from thing to thing and that's not what we want to do but there's just lots to talk about this week guys so sorry about that Um, and that is in the field of gaming Uh, we've spoken about gaming a few times and i think it's an important conversation to have because it really is taking the world by storm now that we are uh, in the situation that we're in and people have a lot more time on their hands Uh, we're talking about sony and they very recently released the ps5 we spoke about that before barry and one of the sort of flagship titles that they were going to release, uh, you know, following that uh, console is a game called Cyberpunk 2077. And I don't know too much about this game, Barry, but I believe that this was one of the most hyped up games this year for release this year. And it's now been pulled from the PlayStation Store over sort of glitches over health concerns, um, and yeah, it really has been something like nothing else. Uh, a lot of people were very, very excited to get their hands onto this game and to start playing it, and it caused seizures, like I said, it, it caused all these, these bugs and glitches, and I must just mention, Barry, that it is extremely rare for PlayStation to pull a game after its initial release, so to see this happening this past week was really, really quite interesting to see. Yeah, it really is a big misstep from Sony. Like, this was the game of the season. This was like the Christmas stocking stuffer. This was one of the key games on the PS5 that was kind of going to showcase the PS5 and all its, like, wonder. And I think, as far as I understand, they were trying to push the boundaries with graphics, right? So Cyberpunk 2077 is very, very visual. It's kind of set in the future, obviously. It's very, very um, cyber. It's very VR-related. The graphics are insane. And some of the playthroughs and some of the videos I've seen were absolutely amazing. But again, if you're trying to push these boundaries and you're trying to like do things that never been done before, if you don't make sure you ca- cover all your bases and make sure there's, there's no problems and make sure the glitches are fixed and whatnot, you can be in real trouble. And so I don't know about the medical stuff. I have read about some of those 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 seizures. I think it's because of all the, the flashing lights and the very, very intense graphics that comes with this game. But for something as big as this game, to have those sort of problems is a real worry for the company. It causes huge reputational yeah. damage. I mean, like you say, the hype was incredible. They paid so many influencers to play it and talk about it. It was absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Huge budget spent on this. And you pull the game a couple couple weeks or a couple days into its release, it really doesn't look good for Sony. Definitely. And for all of those gamers, Barry, who were so excited and eager for this release, I know people were queuing up to get this game and to now be queuing up again to get that refund uh, really, really must uh, make a lot of people feel quite silly. I do believe that the PC version is a lot more stable than the console. So it really does make you question, I guess, the ability of this new console. Is it really that much 
further along in terms of graphics and uh, just performance capability. Um, because, you know, how could this have happened where you have a game that a developer put together, obviously on two different platforms? The one platform seems to be all right, and the other platform is causing quite a lot of problems. Like you say, $330 million spent on this game, making it one of the most expensive games ever made in history. Um, and yeah, I mean, now they're back to the drawing board, really. Yeah, definitely. And, and after all the hype of the PS5 and all the lines and the queues and people desperately trying to get their hands on them, mm. to have a flagship game like this, an ambassador game that really tries to showcase the best of the best, it's not it's not a good look. And so I'm sure the investigation will continue and they'll try and figure out what exactly happened and what they can do to fix things. Um, but I think that um, your Xbox users are smiling, Chad, <laughs> in the corners of their Xboxes. Um, I think Microsoft are very happy about this. And uh, the war continues between Sony and Microsoft to win the consoles. Indeed. And just talking about people trying to get their hands on the consoles as well. I don't know if you've heard, Barry, of the insane markups that they've been uh, that have been happening on these consoles. So people, when they were pre-released, just went out and did these bulk orders. In the same way, we see some really popular concerts, um, you know, across the world. People bulk buying and then reselling them at like 100% markup. Uh, for context, you can buy the digital edition of the PlayStation 4. I think about 360 pounds. And over here at secondhand retail stores, you'll find them selling for a thousand pounds, Barry. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that is an insane amount of money. That is an insane amount of money. Yeah, it is insane. And the fact that people are actually buying these consoles, we've seen proposed legislation coming from governments across the world trying to ban the resale of these consoles. And that, I guess, just speaks to, uh, you know, the environment that we're in. People are at home. They're kind of desperate to get their hands on the newest tech. Uh, and when we see these step-ups in generation on Sony platforms, I mean, let's think about when the last one was released. It's, it's a number of years b before you see these new releases. It's very different to, I guess, when you're talking about an iPhone get, that gets released every year. People are pretty excited to get their hands on this thing. So, yeah, unfortunate that a couple of people are taking advantage of that position. But unfortunately, that is what it is. That's how the market works, right? And we see it in sneakers. We see it in iPhones. We see it in all sorts of things. Concert tickets, like you mentioned. Yep. It's this idea of when there's a scarce resource um, and people are able, really, really want it, and that's how the price works, right? That's how these guys make their money. And so if you're not willing to wait for it, you're going to have to pull out a lot of cheddar from that wallet of yours, Chad, to get that PS5. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not in that line. Barry, let's move on to the next segment. <laughs> Stuff I found interesting. So, Chad, we have to take off this headgear again, unfortunately, because we, are, we have to talk about another story that just doesn't feel right, right. wearing some sort of Christmassy gear. And I promise you, it's just coincidence that all of these stories are happening on the Christmas episode. We, we do apologize <laughs> for that. But this stuff is fascinating and it's important to chat about. Um, and on this week on Stuff I Found Interesting, I watched a documentary series over the last week or so, a four-part series, Chad, which was very detailed and very specific about the life of Oscar Pistorius. Okay. Now, for those of you who don't know, Oscar Pistorius is a hero that turned into a villain in 2014, I think it was, or 2013, um, when he was accused and eventually convicted of murdering his girlfriend. Before that, he was the South African hero. He was the very first Paralympian 
across the world to run in the Olympics. He was he's known as the Blade Runner. He's got these prosthetic legs and is an absolutely amazing sprinter. Broke every Paralympic record in the books from the 100, the 200, the 400 meters. Um, destroyed the field. Was like way ahead of everyone else. Fought and fought and fought to make his way into able-bodied competitions and eventually got to the semifinals of the Olympics in, in the year that he ran. And so an incredible athlete that was a hero to so many. He was a Nike-sponsored athlete. He was a hero to the disabled community and people all around the world. And there was this dramatic, dramatic event, like I say, in 2013, 2014, where he murdered his girlfriend. And uh, it caused this media stir like South Africa has never, ever seen, Chad. And I watched this four-part ESPN documentary about his life and just found it absolutely fascinating. Do you remember when this happened, Chad? Do you remember kind of the feeling? I remember the day that, and I remember the moment, Barry, when I first saw the news. It was uh, it kind of it was Valentine's Day as well that this happened, which was which was it the was, crazy thing too. Um, and yeah, the absolute beautiful girlfriend that he had at the time, who you know really could do no wrong in anyone's eyes. Similar, really, to the discussion we had the other day about Diana Barry. I, I feel in a lot of ways, uh, just this beautiful soul. And when we all heard of this news, and I guess, like you say, the media storm that followed with the uh, open airing of the court battle, it was the first time a lot of us were able to actually watch the proceedings of a legal battle happen uh, in real time. We we all got infatuated with the idea of his uh, attorney who was. Uh, defending him and you know all of the various little bits and pieces in that case it's hard to forget it really is and it's, it's such an insane story it had like such incredible highs and lows within the story and even within this trial chair because it wasn't like he was saying he wasn't guilty he admitted to shooting her it wasn't about who did it it was about who did he think he was shooting mm. at the time and uh, his story his defense that they stuck to throughout their trial was that he thought it was an intruder that had broken into his house and he was trying to kind of take care of the two of them and end up shooting this this supposed intruder through the door of a bathroom not knowing that it was actually his girlfriend who had got up from the bed and gone to the bathroom so that was his defense and so he, he kind of stuck to that and kind of was very emotional throughout yeah. because obviously he, he had murdered his own girlfriend um, the state obviously didn't believe this and kind of pushed for murder charges. And like you said, it was shown on live TV. And I remember the whole country basically shut yep. down. Every time this was happening, the whole country shut down. There, were, there was a news channel on DSTV dedicated just to this yep. trial. That's how big this was. And I think that's what the documentary kind of brings out a lot is that this wasn't just one story. This was an indication, a kind of a, a very public viewing as to into, into the South African justice system, looking at how do our courts run? Kind of how do things happen? In South Africa, of course, we've had this, this brutal history of apartheid. We've seen lots of corruption post-apartheid. And for a lot of South African citizens, they haven't been able to see, is our justice system actually working? And so to be able to watch into this trial and see it happen day by day, it was a real transparent kind of view into what South Africa looks like in the courts. The second piece of this was that South Africa did and still does deal with a huge um, problem with gender-based yeah. violence and sure. lots of home and domestic abuse. And this case was kind of seen as a symbol for the larger social problem. This very, very privileged, white, rich, successful man who shot his, his girlfriend. And, 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 and kind of is the same fate that so many women have faced in South Africa in, in lots of different reasons. And this was, because he was famous, because it was such a crazy story, it became this symbol. And so the documentary kind of talks to the fact that this wasn't just about Oscar shooting his girlfriend. Yeah. It was about lots of other social conversations and lots of um, discussions within South Africa and within the rest of the 
the world as to what this kind of this violence means and what it means to live in a country where you're scared about intruders coming into your house. Yeah. What it means to live, live in a country where it's way too common for for men to sh- to to kill or to wound or to injure people that they're close to, especially females, especially children. And this documentary was just a really interesting kind of look back on that case, Chad, with some fresh eyes. And I realized that no one actually knows what happened in that in, on that night, yep. right? Except for Oscar. Oscar's the only person who knows what, what happened. And uh, at the time, of course, everyone was picking sides, trying to figure out who are they going to side with and who, what do they think happened. But when you look at the evidence kind of without emotion and objectively, it's very hard to get a sense as to what actually happened that night, Chad. Yeah, Barry, 100% right. And just to kind of talk to that global scale of the story, uh, when I moved over to the UK, I had kind of not forgotten about it, but obviously wasn't as top of mind as when we were living through this kind of story and the case and all of that stuff. Uh, But the amount of people this side that asked me if I knew about Oscar Pistorius uh, was just astounding. It honestly touched every single corner of the globe um, in a way that I could never have ever foreseen. And you're right, it was just because of that uh, publicity and the the kind of openness of being able to go into the courts and, and kind of see how the process works uh, that everyone was able to look at each little nuance in the story and kind of decide for themselves. And Barry, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I think about it and I think about the verdict and how that all worked, there was a bit of a change, wasn't there, after the first verdict? And uh, then obviously that followed through to the sentencing. A huge change, Chad. So so eventually after months and months and months of this trial, um, Judge Masipa at the time convicted uh, Oscar of culpable homicide, but not first-degree murder. Her verdict at the end was that he had a reasonable um, case to make that he didn't know who was, who was behind okay. that door. And so for that reason, it was kind of convicted as culpable homicide. And South Africa went into uproar because it felt like he was getting getting away with, with murder. He literally yeah. was, right? Yeah. Um, and that's where that saying comes from, I suppose. Um, and that was that was a judgment at the time and caused a lot of drama. The state didn't accept that and they appealed it to the high court and to the Supreme Court and basically to the to the highest courts in the land. And eventually it was overturned and it was con- converted into a murder charge. But not for the reason that they thought that he had changed his idea or changed his, his plan, which I kind of thought. I thought that they had looked at Masipa's verdict and decided it made the wrong verdict. Um, but what actually happened was they realized that even if it wasn't Reva, right? Even if you take Reva out of it and, and you, you think about it, Oscar still murdered somebody. Yep. And with, without being provoked, without being shot at himself, and he, so he still convicted murder, yep. it actually doesn't matter who it was. Um, unfortunately, like that's, that's how the law yep. works. And so he was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to prison. He still is in prison today. Um, and But not because he killed Reva, but because he killed a human. Right. And so that was kind of the legal the legal precedent that was set. Um, but unfortunately, that that kind of that change of judgment didn't have the same publicity that, that the original trial had because people had moved on. The news cycle had mm. moved on. And so I think a lot of South Africans felt hard done by um, feeling that Oscar didn't kind of have that moment in court where he was sentenced to murder in front of the, the eyes of the world um, and who knows whether what the right decision was Chad it's so hard yeah, to tell it definitely is but uh, it certainly seems like a very interesting documentary series to watch um, I'll certainly try and get my eyes on it uh, because yeah you're right Barry sometimes when you live through these experiences and look back on them again uh, it just it just does remind you of what a crazy story that was what a crazy time I guess to to live through uh, all of that stuff happening Barry shall we move on then to our next segment let's look ahead Chad Looking ahead. 
All right, we are looking ahead, but we are kind of looking backwards a little bit because as I talk, Barry is putting on a, a cloak of sorts, a cloak for his head, and I'm following suit in, uh, in putting this Santa Claus uh, cloak on my head. I wouldn't call it a cloak <laughs> traditionally, but I'm calling it a cloak because we're talking about a story that ultimately makes all of the Harry Potter fans out there very, very happy. And that is that uh, there's been some research going on, Barry, to invent a cloak that can make you invisible. It sounds crazy, <laughs> Chad. It sounds insane. And when you put the link on here, I was like, there's no way. There's no way. What are you talking about? <laughs> but after looking into it and reading about it, Chad, it does seem like somewhat plausible. <laughs> and these guys in South Korea think they've developed something that can make a human invisible in real life, even muggles. And that is very exciting news <laughs> if that's the case, Chad. <laughs> love it. Love the Harry Potter speak. I mean, Barry, you <laughs> did tell me about how much of a story, how that story changed your life ultimately and how much, uh, you know, it stuck with you as a kid. It's the greatest story of all time, Chad. And um, I refuse to accept anything else. I refuse to debate that. Um, as, as a child, I was enamored by that story. And I, I was that guy who was in the queue at exclusive books at midnight to pick up the new volume when it was coming out. And I must have read those books 20 plus times at least. And so I'm a huge, huge super fan. When I went to Harry Potter World in the US, I ran around like a little kid for hours. And so hearing about this invisibility cloak coming out of South Korea is super exciting, Chad. And I'm, I'm Fascinated. Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about why they're developing it. So it sounds like it's coming from a military sort of standpoint and angle uh, where they can blend in with the environment that they're in without having to wear camo and uh, put mud on their face and, and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it, there's an <laughs> added advantage too, Barry, and that is that they can control the temperature as well um, and potentially avoid being picked up by, by thermal cameras. Yeah, it sounds like that. Uh, I think that, I think the way they're trying to do it, obviously the science is a bit beyond our comprehension, Chad, but as far as I understand, it's like a rudimentary green screen okay. in a way. So like almost this, this artificial suit is filled with thousands and thousands and thousands of pixels. And the idea is that it's going to pick up, like you say, from the surroundings, like what kind of environment right. are you in and try and create a pixel version of that environment so you can kind of blend into that right. background. And that infrared thing is also fascinating because like, if you think about it in, in night warfare or in like modern warfare, there's a lot of like heat-seeking type equipment that uses that rather than relying on, on observation. And so they're able to kind of cool the body or heat the body to match whatever temperature there is and kind of get rid of that heat signature that's a complete game changer when it comes to a military context. Fascinating. Uh, not that we like to talk about war, not that we want to kind of promote the use of, uh, of this type of equipment, but it is certainly fascinating that it's under development. Um, and yeah, like I said, for all Harry Potter fanatics out there, something really cool too. I almost wonder whether they are going to get an influx of uh, orders from all of these people who love going to kind of cosplay events and dressing up and, and all of that type of stuff? Um, or do you think the price point here is just not going to be accessible <laughs> to the average consumer? Yeah, my, my gut says that the price of this is going to be astronomical. And so if you're going to be a cosplayer with this artificial suit on, you're going to be the talk of the town and you will win Comic-Con for sure. Um, I, I, I wonder what, the, what J.K. Rowling thinks about this and I wonder if they're going to be able to tie any Harry Potter type stuff into this because of course Harry Potter has been such a, a, just a ginormous phenomenon across the world and uh, it's hard to not see those parallels, it's hard not to 
think about Harry throwing that cloak over him and doing all the mischief in, in Hogwarts. And so I'm excited to watch the story play out um, and see if there is something to this. And if this thing actually turns into something something rather special, it'll be a huge step forward for technology. Yeah, definitely. I mean, while we're on the military uh, kind of talking point, Barry, you came across another story this week. Indeed, Chad. We're chatting about submarine communication. So if you imagine you've got a submarine deep in the ocean and you've got a friend submarine who is far away from you, you can't just WhatsApp the guy because <laughs> unfortunately the Wi-Fi is not great under, no. underwater and uh, there's lots of issues about how do you communicate. And so a lot of military have been trying to figure out what is the best way to communicate. And so what these guys in China have decided, Chad, is to take some inspiration from nature and looking at these whales that communicate across vast distances with these incredible songs, right? We've heard yeah. about whales being able to, to, to make these really, really strange ethereal sounds underwater that kind of transfer across large distances and they communicate via that way. So these guys, and they must be wacky scientists of <laughs> some sort, have decided, Chad, they want to try and do that. They want to try and make whale sounds that are, that are decodable by humans and so what they've done is they've tried to decode and try to like synthesize like artificial whale sounds and then give someone else basically the key to those that code and see if they can translate secret messages from submarine to submarine and I just thought that's a fascinating idea. Absolutely bizarre and absolutely wacky. But if it works, it changes everything about submarine warfare. Yeah, it definitely is a weird and wacky thing to hear, Barry. And if I'm honest, at first instinct, I hate everything about this. Because again, this is <laughs> humans coming into, uh, wild, into the wild and now basically throwing these confusing signals at the way of whales who are going to be hearing these signals uh, and potentially are going to be uh, caught off guard or taken off track or uh, you know might even kind of fear some sort of ex existential crisis or uh, another bigger whale that is going to come and kill them or something crazy um, it's just again another story of humans going into a foreign environment and uh, ultimately because they can claiming it as their own yeah, exactly, Chad. It's it's another example of that. It, it's the hubris of humanity, this idea that we are the only species that matter and everyone else should kind of just bow to our interests, right? And so it, it, it's not great to see that. Um, I think that there are interesting technological challenges sure. and interesting kind of technology that could come out of this. But like you say, it, it's, it's kind of in an ethical gray area and uh, it's nothing new for China, yeah. Chad. China are willing to take these sorts of risks, unfortunately. Um, and so who knows whether it's true or not, who knows like how effective it is or any of that sort of thing. I also wonder how many submarines are actually in action these days. Yeah. I think I know that warfare has moved very much to cyber warfare and much more tactical, di diplomatic type warfare. I wonder how many submarines are actually out there. Um, I, I can't think it's more than like a thousand or so. I don't know, Chad. Yeah, good question. I have no idea either. Um, but you're right. It is one of those uh, which might have some wonderful kind of technological learnings. I mean, we talk about the way that bats communicate, all of this stuff. Uh, this undoubtedly is a lot of fascinating things to learn from nature um, but whether that kind of gives us the right to go out and uh, you know confuse all of these uh, species with our own takes on their sort of signals uh, is again like you say an interesting ethical question uh, but yeah interesting to hear that story let's move on to the next segment develop and grow it's at our favorite juncture of the podcast, Barry, where we cast the lens inward a little bit and start to talk about things we've realized about ourselves. And this week, not just this week, but this year, I'm going to say this year as a, as a whole, I've been really struggling, Barry, in finding my photography style. 
Now, I'm not talking about my actual kind of capturing style. I'm very happy with the photos that I take in terms of composition and uh, ultimately, you know, making sure that the focus is in the right point, the technical aspect of creating a good image. It's when I'm in the edit room and you have millions of decisions to make, how do you want this thing to look? Um, and ultimately, every photographer needs to have an identity. You want to be ideally at a point where someone will see one of your photos and have a reasonable expectation of what the rest of your work looks like, the quality of the rest of your work. Um, and, you know, ultimately you're looking for something that has a kind of consistent brand through it. And I've just been struggling to find that style. And it's something that has been kind of paralyzing me from posting photos. I'll go through and I'll post millions of photos on my story but not commit them to actual posts because of the fact that I am unsure about my style um, and it's something that's that's quite tricky to solve and I don't quite have a solution at this particular point in time Barry uh, but the observation that I had is that I'm getting frustrated because I'm I'm looking at the end goal I'm trying to be that kind of professional photographer who has his style, has it all figured out um, and is able to kind of assert their identity onto the world as an example. Where I'm not at that stage, I'm still learning to to walk, right? I, I shouldn't be running at this point in time. Um, and so I guess it is a reminder to go back to basics, uh, start from scratch again. I'm now immersing myself in a whole bunch of different tutorials and YouTube videos and everything I can kind of get my hands on. That certainly is going to be the bulk of the content on uh, my leave, which I've still taken, even though I'm going to be at home doing uh, doing not a whole <laughs> lot. Um, but yeah, it's kind of that idea of let's go back to basic, learn to walk before you can run. There's so much to unpack there. I think it's what you're describing is a, is a challenge that every creative faces in the beginning of their yeah. career. Because I think we all look at the, the professionals. We look at the, the superstars in whatever field we are looking at. So in photography, Chad, I know you'll have a couple names where yeah. you absolutely love their stuff. And you look at their their brand, you look at the photos they create, and like you say, it's it's instinctively theirs. Yeah. You can see exactly what photo is theirs. And it feels like they've got this perfect niche this perfect domination of one particular style that has made them famous and you can look at all of them and you can decide cool i, I want to copy him or i want to copy a bit of him or i want to copy a bit of <laughs> yeah. him and it feels like when you put it all together it, it doesn't feel authentic yeah. or it doesn't feel like you sometimes um, and that is something that a lot of creators face as we try and find our way in this world when we still we're still in the early stages we're still like you say learning to run learning to walk yeah. trying to get our feet wet and kind of figure out what is our creative output going to look like like it, it can be paralyzing to decide cool what is my brand am I going to stick to it for the rest of my life that's a huge decision so let me kind of wait and see what I'm going to post and I think for a lot of us like you say it actually comes down to more experimentation and sometimes we have to force ourselves to post things we, that aren't ready yet or to mm -hmm. post things that we've been holding back on because we're worried about a certain brand we're worried about how this might look compared to other stuff we've posted in the past and it's such a difficult balance to strike because we, we, we watch all these pros we see how, how well they've kind of made a niche for themselves and we want to do the same but at the same time we, we don't have the body of work yet to understand exactly what makes us unique compared to them. Barry you kind of mentioned it in the perfect uh, framing there and that is that we, we look at this and we kind of sometimes want to want to copy styles we sometimes want to uh, you know buy a preset and that's the thing is you can copy styles these days you can buy a preset you can buy a LUT you can buy whatever the heck they're calling it 
um, in your particular field and in a way copy that style. Uh, but what, once you've done that, and I'm guilty of having done that uh, fairly recently, I now have a myriad of presets and styles to use. But like you say, none of them feel like me. I can slap that on and be left with something that you know I might like looking at, but it, it doesn't feel like me. Um, and it is. It is a really tough thing, this whole finding your style uh, thing. I guess it's similar to, to when you were starting out your writing, Barry, uh, in You've got a whole bunch of authors that you look up to and, you know, ultimately you, you really enjoy their work and you could pick their words, use their words, use their, their kind of styles and grammar and, uh, you know, patterns of writing, all of that kind of stuff. But it's, it's not going to feel authentic. It's not going to feel like you. And at which point do you start to develop a voice of your own and start to, uh, you know, stand out from the crowd, so to speak? Spot on. That's exactly what you go through as a writer. And I think it's, it's rather similar to photography, like you say. And I think that it's still an important part of the process, that copying phase, because when you're still learning the craft, you're still learning how to kind of get things right and what mistakes to avoid and whatnot. It is important to copy people who are really good yeah. at things because you learn through that process. But like you say, at some point, you have to start developing your own style. And I'm of the belief that Quantity here is what matters. Okay. I've, I'm, I'm flabbergasted sometimes by artists or creatives who to have all this this material, all this content, and they just don't post because they think <laughs> it's not perfect or they, 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 they don't like the look of it or whatever the story mm. is. Whereas my opinion is that the only way to figure out what works for you is actually to put it in the court of public opinion. You can think about these things for years and years and years and years and outthink yourself to, to no end. But the real test of art and the real test of making a message or making an impact in someone's life is putting it out there into the world and seeing what response it gets. And so I'm a firm believer of quantity, 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 especially at the beginning when you're still trying to figure it out because that is the way it tests ideas. That's the way to test how something feels. And you might post something and then two hours later you're like, oh, I really don't <laughs> like that at all, yep. right? And that's the, kind of, that's the kind of negative feeling you have to be okay with because that's the idea of quantity, quantity, quantity. And so I'm a firm believer in that. But again, that's, that's not the only way Way to do it there's been lots of examples of, of a wide range of ways to get to creative success at the end of the day you have to find a way to get out of your own way find a way to kind of stick to what is true to you stick to what is feels like your work and then actually publish it and move on to other stuff without worrying about what people are going to say or worrying about the view count or the likes or any of that sort of thing because if you're not publishing things, if you're not shipping products, if you're not getting your stuff out there into the world, then you can drive yourself insane with all of these conversations, Chad. Yeah, definitely. And and that's exactly my experience is that I, I have been hitting upload on certain things. But now that I look at it together as like a, a body together, not just each post in isolation individually, when I'm gathering my portfolio, I'm, I'm struggling to find the, the common ties and the, and the common binds. And, and that is, for me, a problem. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, a lot of people might look at it and, and say that there's no problem there. And so I guess you also have to get out of your own head um, and, and just trust the process. Create, create, create. You will get better eventually. Yeah, definitely. And I, I can't really speak to photography. It's not my field. Mm. So that advice might not be relevant <laughs> for, for what you're talking about. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I, do, I do believe that we care very much about consistency in our brand and sometimes to a fault. I, I know there's a lot of creators who are well known for creating one type of thing and then they're super scared to try and create mm. something different yeah. because 
it's, it's not proven, right? And the audience has come to expect a certain yep. thing. And so there's that huge fear, that huge gap you've got to jump over to create something new. And you've got to accept the possibility that people hate the new thing and you kind of lose that relevance, right? And that's the fear that is behind all of those decisions. But at the end of the day, if you are an artist, if you consider yourself a creative, your creative expression has to come first. That's that's just what it's about, right? Unless you're trying to make money from this, sure. unless you're like it's your full-time job, that is your family are depending on it, right? But if you're in the early stages of your career and your creative expression is about that, it's about kind of ex expressing whatever you're trying to, to message, whatever you're trying to talk about, I really do think that you can only do that in the arena. You can't do it on the side, like you say, thinking about what is my style going to be? How do I make a niche for myself? How do I make sure I'm recognizable over time? I really do think you have to get stuff into the world and then see what patterns emerge yep. naturally. And like you say, you might not see the patterns now, but you're still so early in your process. There's still such a long way to go in this journey. Absolutely. Well, thanks for that, Barry. Um, I'll, I'll definitely kind of just keep trying, not be so hard on myself. Um, you know, hopefully it does happen. It does click at some stage. Uh, but for the meantime, I'm going to, like I said, over this uh, next couple of days, uh, got a nice break running up to New Year that I'm looking forward to kind of just uh, reflecting a bit again. Uh, it's kind of like at the beginning of lockdown when we had all this free time, which now we have filled up doing things. Um, so to, <laughs> to not have to, you know, do the, the kind of nine to five, um, it will be good. It will be nice to kind of unwind a bit and you know, be able to actually put some proper time into this craft that I do, I do, I do really love. Um, so, yeah. How about you, Barry? Are you going to be taking some time off to, to reflect and, I guess, recharge somewhat? I'm hoping to, Chad. At the moment, things are absolutely crazy. I don't know mm. why, but my work and my business has really grown in the last couple of days and last couple of weeks. And so things are very chaotic at the moment. Yeah. But I do hope to have some time over the festive period to reflect and, and set some goals for 2021 and kind of figure out where do we go to from mm. here after this crazy, <laughs> insane year that has torn all of our lives apart? How do we kind of move forward? How do we take stock of what's happened? to us how do we kind of recharge the batteries and see what's going to happen going forward and so i'd encourage everyone out there as well if you're listening or watching right now take some time to yourself to think about 2020 close that book and then figure out what is your game plan for 2021 as we kind of move into what hopefully will be a better year Chad. yeah 100 take stock and rebuild barry because that's what we are built to do as a human species we are built to overcome all of these hardships and we we, we can do it i know it doesn't seem like at the moment but we can that ding is the end of our episode we just uh, <laughs> we just reached the end uh, we've been talking heck of a lot we again had to shift a whole bunch of stuff off of the agenda uh, because we had a little bit too much um, but Barry do you realize that like next week is going to be our new year episode we're going to look at the favorite things of ours that happened in the year. Reflect back on all of the goals we had set for last year, which I haven't looked at in a while. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, uh, That's going to be terrible. And maybe even set some new ones. Yeah, Chad, it is kind of crazy that the year is done. And like you say, I'm looking forward to that episode. It's always is a fan favorite. So please do tune in next week. Hit that subscribe button. Get on our social media. Let us know what you think. Um, and we're really looking forward to die diving deep into 2021 from next week and beyond. But for now, I'd like to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful New Year. Please be safe out there. Please be responsible yeah. out there as best you can. Uh, be grateful for what you have. And uh, if you are able to spend time with friends and family, cherish it. Make the most of it. If you aren't, 
reach out to people, get on those Zoom calls, get on those phone calls and make the most out of this rather strange Christmas, Chad. That is it from me, Barry, and he's Chad. Thank you for listening to another episode of Across the Pond and we'll see you again next week. Pond across the